We know prayer is uh, one of those uh, topics that uh, preachers spend a lot of time um, sharing about, and, and maybe you've given some thought about prayer and all that. You know, the prayers we do during the day, we, we pray before meals, we pray at night, uh, we pray before big quizzes in school and things like that. But today, uh, we're, we're entering a series that uh, really we want to push the envelope on. And I'm really excited about our beginning this series, and it's called Risky Prayers. And these are the kind of prayers that maybe aren't as common as uh, you might think, or they're not prayers that you would pray every day. But our, our hope is over the next couple of weeks is that we can challenge you and even um, press you a little bit more to move in a direction to encourage you to pray some of these risky prayers. Because our, our hope is that if we can learn to pray these risky prayers, that our life won't be the same, that it really will be different, that um, God will do something uh, huge within us, and uh, we won't be the same as uh, maybe we were before we began these prayers um, some of you aren't going to like these prayers that we're going to teach you. I'll just be honest with you. Uh, some of you are going to say, there's no way in, you know what, I'm going to pray that kind of prayer. And uh, I, I want to say before you say that or before you just give up, give us a couple of uh, moments and opportunities to try to help lead you in this area because I think you'll see a, a huge difference of what God will do. So the prayer that I'm going to teach today um, is a prayer that really comes in two portions. The first is, test me, Lord. Um, I don't know if anybody's ever prayed that prayer, test me, Lord. Uh, sometimes we ask for tests, or, or more importantly, when we're asking God to test us or to, to test something in our life, what we're really uh, praying also is, God, break me. So test me, but break me of whatever this is that's in my life that's not of you or is not of value. Uh, so test and break are, are synonymous to me when it comes to prayer. And these are the kinds of prayers that we, that we pray that we're, we're asking God to, to give us some kind of test or, or move us in, a, diff, in a, a situation that breaks us in the moment that we can become something different. Now, I think it's fair to say that all of us want to get closer to God. And I think that uh, most of us are um, uh, uh, strong enough to say that every, every day we want to hope that we're praying, that, that we want to make sure that we're reading the scriptures. But I think it's more important than just head knowledge. It's actually the relationship that we seek in God. And that's the important part as we move into that relationship. So that prayer, test me or break me, uh, is scary, but it's a kind of prayer that leads us closer into the presence of God. Uh, my first experience in, in learning about that prayer, test me or break me, came about 18 or 19 years ago when uh, Patty and I were asked by the bishop to go and to start a new church. And um, in, in starting a new church, it's kind of scary. You know, you have no congregation. You have no building. If you're lucky, you might have some land that somebody uh, uh, is going to move you toward. And, and you spend a lot of time knocking on doors and, and getting the word out that you're trying to, to start a new church community. And um, one of the guys that I met uh, along that journey, his name was Bob, and, and Bob was a, a tremendous individual. He was like a sage to me. Uh, maybe you all have somebody in your life that you look toward that uh, kind of pours into you spiritually. Well, Bob was that kind of person for me, and, and every month we would uh, meet at the Bob Evans in Lake Mary on the east coast of, of Florida. And so we used to call it Bob, at Bob's, Bob and Bob at Bob's is what we used to call the gathering. And we'd uh, gather there, and he would pour into me. Now, his life was remarkable. Bob was a recovering alcoholic, and I could see in his life about how God had really taken um, his, his disease of alcoholism, and God had, had changed his life, and God had broken him to where he didn't crave the alcohol anymore, but that God was the one that filled the hole that was in his heart that he used the addiction to chase after. 
So as we would talk about things and, and I, he would pour into me, uh, it was just really fascinating to learn from a man who was uh, many decades older than me, but who had walked a journey, a hard life, but had come out on the other end in, in, wonderful, in a wonderful spiritual condition. Well, Bob, one time we were together and he looks right at me and he says to me, he said, Bob, God is going to test you. In fact, he's going to break you. And, and when he told me that, you know, he kind of led up into, I'm going to tell you something. And, and, and before he told me that prayer, he said, I'm going to tell you something. And I, and I was naive enough back then. I thought, well, he's going to tell me that, that, you know, I've got like the world at my fingertips and I'm going to be this greatest pastor. Again, I was really naive and I didn't know any better. Now I'm older. I, I understand that was very arrogant and it wasn't humble at all. And, uh, but when he said that, uh, God's going to test you, God's going to break you, I, I thought he was kidding. And I said, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, what, what can God test me with, and, and, and how in the world is God going to, to break me? Well, this new church that we were planting was the way that God was going to test me and the way that God was breaking me, so to speak. I mean, we began this new community and, um, you know, just gathering a mass of people. And, and some of them actually um, have moved over here, and they're a part of St. Paul today, a part of our church start. Uh, but, but, you know, we, we uh, started gathering people, and money was always a problem. Money is a problem in, in um, churches that have been around, but especially new churches. And we started off worshiping in a movie theater. I mean, think about that for a second. You know, having to create a church in a movie theater, we used to store everything behind the big screens in the back and uh, in between the gummy bears and the popcorn on the floor. We had to make sure the kids don't eat that, you know, and sweep that up and uh, that kind of stuff. But, but every week it was hard work and it was, it was pressing in, in everything that went with that. Well, we were about two years into the church plant and uh, we had an opportunity actually to build our first facility. And it was about an 18,000 square foot uh, building all under one roof. It was a multi-purpose space. And we actually raised enough money to build that first unit building in two years. And we were excited about that. And the project was well underway, and we couldn't wait to get out of the movie theater. And, uh, and so the, the time came, though, where we were advanced into the project, and all of a sudden we ran out of money. And we're like, how did that happen? We had enough money to, to build this building. What happened? Well, our site engineer that we had hired had miscalculated, and he had thrown off the calculations so badly that the project was going to cost a half a million dollars more for site work than what he had originally told us. So we were out of cash. So, so uh, that day at church in the theater, I said, everybody, let's just meet out on the slab. So we get out on a slab where we were building. The walls were about two-thirds of the way up, and we really had to have a conversation to talk about how we were going to overcome this obstacle in making sure that we could build this church. Well, you know, other things about starting a church community, you know, you're hiring staff, and, and they're wonderful staff, and all of a sudden that staff is leaving because they're going to bigger churches that can pay higher salaries. And you, there's some woundedness that goes into that. You know, people who are a part of that community, and you, you begin to love on them, and then they leave the community for whatever reasons. It really tears at your heart, so a lot was going on in the midst of this situation. And I remember calling Bob one day, and I said, hey, it's time for Bob and Bob at Bob's, and he knew exactly what that meant. He knew that it was a time for me to complain to him that I didn't like what was going on. And I wasn't happy. And so we met, and, and, and I'm just like giving him an earful. Of, this isn't going right, and that isn't going right, and I don't like this, and I don't like that. You know, do y'all ever do that? I, I do that, you know, and, and so on and so forth. And, and he, said, he just looks at me. He said, what part of God is going to test you or God is going to break you didn't you understand? And I looked at him, and I said, well, is God done testing me yet? Is God done breaking me yet? And he said, Bob, here's one thing I do know. When God is finished, 
testing and breaking you into the person he wants you to be, you're going to know when that happens. You're not going to have to ask me when that, when that particular time comes. So it's in those moments of, of brokenness. It's in those moments of, of being a pinched in life and, and praying that risky prayer. You know, God, you know, help me, uh, test me, break me, make me into a better person. Give me the kind of heart that is after you and all of those kinds of things. That's a very risky prayer. And if you're willing to pray that prayer, you're going to see something happen dramatically in your life. This morning, I want to kind of pull that together into two stories in Mark's gospel. They're going to come out of Mark chapter 14. They're back-to-back stories. And the first story we learn in Mark's gospel is about a particular woman. Let me read you a little bit about the story. Uh, First of all, it talks about um, uh, Jesus was at Bethany, and uh, he was a guest of Simon the leper. And while he was eating dinner, a woman came carrying a bottle of very expensive perfume. Now, let me tell you a little bit about this woman. This woman was a prostitute. In the ancient world, um, women were treated as chattel, as property. They weren't even allowed to own land or have wealth or anything. All that was reserved for men. So women really had to fight to make ends meet. So when I learn in the story that this woman is a prostitute, what that tells me is that she probably was raised in life where she saw that life dealt her the wrong cards, meaning that she didn't get any breaks in life that she didn't have any pathway to get her to a place where she could care for herself or to marry into a family where the man in those days, that's what happened, the man would take care of her. So she succumbs to the vocation of prostitution. Now, I sometimes I read a little bit more into the story than maybe I should, but my mind started wondering, going like, maybe she was a single mom. What if, what if she had to do this because she was trying to feed her kids? Or, or what if you know, her parents were sick and she had to somehow make money? I mean, so I'm, I'm really getting into the story of this woman, and I'm thinking about, now, prostitutes in the ancient world, they were not looked upon very favorably by anybody. In fact, they were hated by most women, and they were abused by most of the men. But yet they came to this vocation um, in, a, in a precarious way. And, and so basically as they begin to sell themselves to men to earn money, you can see how humiliating this can be in, in their lives. But the story's going to tell us about this woman, this prostitute, who comes in contact with a man who treats her entirely different. This man sees her for who she really is as a creation of God. He looks into her heart and he understands her circumstance and he claims her and he loves her and he cares for her and he adopts her, so to speak. And that man's name is Jesus. And so this woman wants to find a way to worship Jesus in an extravagant way. And that's why we're back at this story. So Jesus is is in Bethany. He's a guest of Simon the leper. While he's eating dinner, a woman came up, this is the prostitute, carrying a bottle of expensive perfume and opening, breaking the bottle, she poured it on his head. So she has this very expensive perfume. She breaks the bottle open and she pours it on Jesus' head. And some of the guests, which would be also some of the disciples who were there, became furious among themselves. That's criminal, they shouted. That's a sheer waste. This perfume could have been sold for well over a year's wages and handed out to the poor. Now think about it. You know, a lot of debate is over, well, what is a year's wages? And we'll look in biblical times. I want to put it in today's perspective. Think about how much money you make a year. 
That's how valuable this bottle of perfume was. Wherever you are on the income scale, that's how valuable it was. So this was a treasure. This was something that was not to be uh, just uh, done, uh, you know, um, flippantly. But, but there was a treasure that she wanted to hold on to. So here we have the story. Now, where is Jesus? Jesus is at the home of Simon the leper. Who's a leper? A leper is somebody that had a disease. And in biblical times, people actually ran away from lepers. And the law said that a leper had to stay away from someone and shout that they were unclean. And they had to go through a cleansing process. So what we learn biblically is Jesus is always keeping company with the outcasts. He's always keeping company with the other people, the people that we maybe don't want to associate with. So he's in the home of Simon the leper. So here you have a rabbi and you have um, a leper and a prostitute. It almost sounds like a bad joke. A rabbi, a prostitute, and a leper were at a bar. But anyway, so, so they're gathered together. and Here they are in this place. And something significant is happening in, in this story. Now, um, in the ancient world, a regular woman would not have the money to buy perfume. So it was highly likely that the women who had the perfumes were the prostitutes. Now the perfume, the scent, was, was the calling card of the woman. She would walk through the crowds uh, with men and they would sniff, they would smell the perfume. They would catch a whiff of that and that would be the, oh, that's the invitation. She's a prostitute, uh, let's go transact some business. And, and so this, this perfume was, was something that she used for her business and for her livelihood. So you can see how important um, this perfume is at this particular point. So we find out that the scripture says that she broke the jar and she poured it out on Jesus's head. She broke the jar and she poured it out. So say that with me. Broke the jar and poured it out. She broke the jar and she poured it out. So some people in the story we see, they're, they're really freaking out about this. They see the significance of the wealth of what this woman is doing, and they think she's careless. And they are just uh, excoriating her. They are upset at her. And think about it. If you and I were at that, at that dinner and something like that was happening, or if we've been with somebody that we thought was being, um, you know, just giving something away that was worth a lot of money, we'd be like, wait a minute, don't do that. It's worth too much money. Say that. But yet they add a little bit of an insult to this when they tell her, we could use this money to give to the poor. So they're, they're, they're really highlighting the value of what this particular thing is. But when the woman breaks the jar and she pours the perfume on the head of Jesus, here's what she's saying. I am breaking myself of my past and I'm pouring my life into you. I'm breaking from my past and I'm pouring my life into you. I'm giving you everything that I own and have and trusting in you. I'm breaking and I'm pouring. So we see some significant things that come with this. And why does she do this? She does it as a significant act of extravagant worship because of the unconditional love that Jesus has shown her in the home of Simon the leper. She can't help but to give back to him what he has given to her. So that's the first story. Now here's the second story. The second story we touched on a little bit last week in World Communion Sunday. And the second story we see in Matthew's Gospel in, in chapter 14 um, is, is right after this one. And Jesus is sitting at the table and he's having his last meal, the last supper with his disciples, his friends. 
and others that are gathered in the room. And, and we find it as he's gathered there, and he's saying to them that I am going to die for the sins of humanity. And he is signifying into them, yet they don't understand that he is the true Lamb of God who will be sacrificed for the propitiation or for the removal of all sins, that he will take the sins away from all people. So let's pick up in Mark's gospel here. In the course of the meal, uh, having taken and blessed the bread, listen, he broke it and he gave it to them. And then he said, take, this is my body. Then he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is what? Poured out for you or for many. So do you get the connection here in the two stories? The woman breaks the jar, pours out the perfume. Jesus breaks the bread and pours out his blood via the wine. So we begin to see some, some interesting things that are, that are coming out here. Both of these things are acts of worship of what Jesus is doing and what the woman has done in the presence of Jesus. But Luke, who's in the room, one of the disciples, he takes a little step further and he gives us another snapshot of something else that's happening when all this is going on. And Luke adds in his gospel something significant. Now, Mark was the first gospel of all the gospels written. Mark is the most primitive gospel, so it was the first one. So when Matthew and Luke and John write their gospels, Matthew and Luke specifically use Mark's gospel as a baseline. It's like the story, and they use something called conflation. They add to that, and they take parts out, and they add in their own eyewitness accounts. And that's how we get, you know, Matthew's account, how we get Luke's account. But they're both based upon what Mark said when he first got the first gospel out there. So Luke, who's in the same room, says something, and he adds to his gospel in the same situation as to what we're seeing here with what Mark's recording. Luke adds these words that Mark did not. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, what does Jesus mean by that? Do this in remembrance of me. Now, if you recall, when we have communion Sundays here at St. Paul, um, that is part of our communion liturgy. The way we do this, uh, the way that we do communion based upon the ancient traditions of the church. And we say those words, do this in remembrance of me, as we talk about the bread and as we talk about the cup. But Luke points this out as a piece of significance. So whenever we take the bread and we break it, and whenever we take the juice and we symbolize it being poured out, we see some significant things that are happening. The breaking of the bread reminds us of Jesus' brokenness on the cross, the shedding of his blood, the pouring out of his blood as he's bleeding on the cross as a sign of the forgiveness of our sins as the Lamb of God. So we see the symbolism that comes into this. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, some scholars take it into a different direction, and I think it's quite intriguing by some of the ways in which they present this. Some of the scholars say, what if it's more than just our liturgy? What if it means more than just what we do on communion Sundays when we say, do this in remembrance of me? Did Jesus mean something even more than breaking of the bread and giving of the cup and eating and drinking on communion Sunday? And some scholars say, the answer is yes, he meant something even more. 
that the words broken and poured, do this in remembrance of me, is symbolic that you and I are to be broken of ourselves and poured out for Christ in the world. So therefore, we love like Christ and we live like Christ and that we become Jesus with skin in the world. So therefore, in remembrance of him, we are living our lives as Christ by being broken and poured to command his work into the world. So it's not just a ritual, these scholars would say, but we're called to live and love as Jesus did. And therefore, we are to be broken and poured as being tested by God for his work in the world. So there we were. We had, we had started the church, and uh, we were a couple of years into that. And, and we had one couple uh, that was a part of our church, and they were part of the original group of about five or six couples that met uh, when we began in a hotel room and, and, and went on from there to plan the church. Their names were Kevin and Christine. And Kevin and Christine were quite uh, unique individuals. They had been uh, disconnected from the local church for many, many years. They were recently married, and they were trying to embark upon a life uh, that would be God-filled. And one of the things I learned about Kevin and Christine was the one thing that they wanted more than anything else was a child. They had tried and tried and tried to get pregnant and to have a child. In fact, Christine went through six miscarriages uh, through the time that we knew them, through various stages of the trimesters, and lost every child that she was carrying. And the one thing that they just prayed over and we prayed with them about was God will bless you with a child. God will bless you with a child. When she became pregnant the seventh time, I just knew this is going to happen, that this pregnancy is going to go, that God has poured his favor out on you, that you have gone through the tests, that, that you have been broken enough, and that God will now establish you into this covenant with this new family, and all will be well. And as their spiritual leader, I was willing to bet everything in the world on that, and I told them that, and I was encouraging them and, and encouraging and encouraging. She got to her third trimester, which she had never before, and she lost the baby. And at that moment, I realized what Bob had said to me long ago, Bob, God's going to test you, and God's going to break you. Now, I'm not trying to make the story about me. I'm just trying to share a little detail because I was so arrogant. I was so um, inappropriate by saying God is going to do this. How dare I speak? like that to them, saying, God told me, and, and because I was so excited and just knew and, and just really felt like if I just believe it enough, it will happen. So God broke me at that moment, and I was humbled. And as we began to love on each other, and as we began to walk in life together through that lost pregnancy, something amazingly happened. And here's what I learned. When we, when we, when we, we try to impress people with our strengths, but we really connect with people through our weaknesses. Let me say it differently. We try to impress people through our strengths, but where we really connect with people is in our brokenness. I tried to impress them with my strength, but where I connected with them was in the midst of their brokenness. And God began to do a huge work. 
writer, Dr. Henry Cloud. Maybe you've read some of his books. He's a Christian psychologist and, and relationship expert. And, and he said there's a reason why God gave us tear ducts in our eyes. And if you think about that, when you go back to the original design of humanity, I mean, we really could shed our tears all sorts of different ways. Our tears could come out of our ears. They could come out of our noses. They could come out of the pores in our skin. But God specifically said, I'm going to make ducks right here in your eyes. I just poked myself. Right here in your eyes uh, for, for tears. And that's where you're going to cry. Now, why did God do that? Here's what I believe. Because whenever we come together, we're to look each other eyeball to eyeball. And when we look at each other in the eyes, it's there that we see the joys of our life and the pains of our life. It's in our eyes that we see tears of joy and tears of brokenness. So therefore, we're to look at each other in the midst of our brokenness and look at each other face to face and see what it is that God is doing for us. So back to that time when Bob said to me, God is going to break you. And like many of you, I said, I'm, I'm not going to pray that prayer. I don't want to pray that prayer. That's the kind of prayer I don't want to pray. That's too hard. It's too risky. I'm not going to do that. But then I've come to realize on this side that there are many ways that we are broken every day. And through our brokenness, we are shaped into the image of God. And in our brokenness, we rid ourselves of the things that are not worthy of our life. And it's in those greatest breakings, in life's greatest breakings, God leads to his greatest blessings. So think about those times in your life when you've been broken and how God's blessing has come out and pulled you from there. When I think of that, I think of Peter. Peter, who said unequivocally to Jesus, there's no way I'm ever going to deny you. I'm not going to run away from you. The rooster crows a third time. Peter is caught, and he is broken because he knows what he's going to do. And yet, God used Peter, the same one who was broken, to preach the first sermon in Pentecost, where thousands of people gave their life to Jesus Christ. So some of you today can probably preach this sermon a lot better than me. You've had so much brokenness in your life. You've had so many tests and so many circumstances. Some of you are in the middle of that right now, and you're kind of wondering, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? I just want to give up. I don't want to pray that prayer. Let me encourage you. Hang in there. Pray the prayer. Let God work with you that through your testings, through your brokenness, let God renew you. Let God create in you something greater than you currently are. Don't give up, but stay in. The woman came and poured out the oil on Jesus' head. I'm giving you my whole life, she said. I'm breaking from my past, and I'm moving to the future. And that's God's message for us in this prayer. Break from the past and move into the future. Pray with me this prayer at the end. As we come together, let's pray together. Test me, Lord, so I can be fully dependent on you so that I can serve you and trust you completely. Amen.